right. Namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo. Hi friends, how are you? I hope you're in good health and secure. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for supporting the propagation of this resource, yes? Uh, by liking and subscribing, it takes a few seconds free. And then there's all the links in the description below for free podcasts, free information on threefoldlotus.com, as well as uh, links for ebooks, print books, mandala, so on. All right. Fortitude, chapter 13. Let's get right into it, shall we? What? No prologue? <laughs> well, oh, this weather. You'll probably hear there's rain falling on this metal building, so please don't let that distract you too much now that I've called it out. At that time, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva Medicine King and the Bodhisattva Mahasattva Great Joy in Preaching, together with a retinue of uh, two myriads of Bodhisattvas in the Buddhist presence, took this oath, saying, We beg you, O world-honored one, not to be concerned, for after the Buddha's extinction, we will reverently exalt, read, and recite, and preach this scriptural canon. Though the beings of the latter evil age shall be of ever slighter wholesome faculties, though they shall have much overweening pride, and shall covet offerings, though their unwholesome faculties shall increase, and they shall be hard to teach, and convert, not for lack of which is the tremendous amount of distractions and uh, attachments that are made in this latter age, yeah? Yet we, rousing the strength of great forbearance, will read and recite this scripture, bear and preach it, write and copy it, and in a variety of ways make offerings to it, not begrudging even our own bodily life. At that time, 500 arhats within the multitude who had received prophecies addressed the Buddha saying, O world-honored one, we too vow to preach this scripture broadly in other lands. Again, there were learners and those who had nothing more to learn, 8,000 in number who had received prophecies and who rising from their seats and facing the Buddha with hands clasped, took this vow, saying, O world-honored one, we too will preach this scripture broadly in other lands. What is the reason? In the midst of this Saha realm, most men are deluded, evil, obstacles to enlightenment. Yes? Harboring thoughts of overweening pride, they're too good for this teaching. Their merit shallow and thin, easily distracted and unfocused. Irascible, easy to uh, upset. Muddied, not clear thinking. Sycophantic, a, a word of tremendous attachment, delusion, yeah. And crooked, their hearts not true. I think it'd be more accurate to say their hearts highly distracted and barely focused on anything, just 
emotionally being led around to whatever is most immediately gratifying. Hmm? But this is thousands of years ago, so. At that time, with learning bhikshunis and those who had nothing more to learn, 6,000 in number, the Buddha's maternal aunt, the bhikshuni Mahaprajapati, rose from her seat and single-mindedly and with hands clasped, looked up at the august countenance, her eyes not turning aside even for a moment. At that time, the world-honored one asked Gautami, why do you look upon the thus-come-one with such troubled mien? You are surely saying to yourself that I did not mention your name when conferring prophecies of Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. Are you not? Yet in an age to come, with respect to the Dharma of the 68,000 of millions of Buddhas, you shall be a great Dharma teacher. Together with 6,000 bhikshunis, learners, and those who have nothing more to learn, you shall be a Dharma teacher. In this way, little by little, you shall perfect the path of Bodhisattva and shall succeed in becoming a Buddha named seen with joy by all living beings, a thus come one worthy of offerings of right and universal knowledge, clarity and conduct perfect, says his, kind of a slight there, well gone, understanding the world, an unexcelled worthy, a regulator of men of stature, hmm? a teacher of gods and men, a Buddha, world honored one, Gautami, this Buddha, seen with joy by all living beings, on 6,000 bodhisattvas, one by one, shall confer a prophecy of attainment of Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. Oh, I just noticed a typo in my... Oops, i got to fix that. Okay. So his aunt, probably a little miffed, <laughs> that after all these conferences of future bodhisattva and Buddhahood, she, his aunt, who is responsible for promoting and creating, although suggested by, uh, was it Shariputra? No, Ananda, to have women, nuns, join the monastic order. She was a big organizer of that monastic order. And still, so, you know, there's a little bit, hey, you can't blame her. Right, this misogyny just doesn't seem to want to go away. So she's a little mm, miffed. So he quickly confers her, upon her this prophecy. It's the format, yeah. At that time, Rahula's mother, the big Shuni Yasodara, thought, in the course of his prophecies, the world honored one failed to mention only my name. The Buddha declared to Ayashodara. In time to come, you shall perform bodhisattva conduct with respect to the dharma of a hundred thousand myriads of millions of Buddhas and become a dharma teacher. At length, you shall perfect the Buddha path and in a realm goodly shall contrive to become a Buddha named, again, he, who has perfected a thousand myriads of glowing marks, a thus come one, a worthy, so on and so forth. Still the male epithet, though. <sighs> so unfortunate. I don't think that was the intent of Shakyamuni, not at all. 
but these are the authors peering into the depth of meaning of Shakyamuni's teachings, still themselves living in a society greatly biased by misogyny, but accepting women, although through this male lens. Hey, ladies, we're still dealing with it. So maybe you could set it aside and see that the prophecy is still intact. Yeah. I know, I don't blame you for being irascible about it, but it's no reason to be an obstacle to your enlightenment, is it? That Buddha's lifespan shall be incalculable asamkaya kalpas. Wow, he didn't put a termination date on it. That's something. That's something more than he's given anyone else, male or female, yeah? At that time, the Bhikshuni Mahaprajpati and Bhikshuni Yasodhara, together with their retinues, were overjoyed, having gained something they had never had before, and straightway, in the Buddha's presence, proclaimed a gatha, saying, O world-honored one, O guide, O teacher, you put gods and men at their ease. Having heard your prophecy, we are perfectly at ease in our hearts. Having proclaimed this gatha, the bhikshunis addressed the Buddha, saying, O world-honored one, we too can proclaim this scripture broadly in other lands. So everybody's rising to the occasion, yeah? Shakyamuni said, eh, don't know that uh, there's anyone who has committed to this ultimate teaching here to hold it with reverence into the future so that it, this, this precious jewel of the method to attain Buddhahood in this immediate moment, in this life, is not lost throughout time. Who, who will take up that mantle? And so all these people who now have been given the prophecies they so much seeked, even the Arhats, who've been told for decades, you'll never achieve it in your lifetime, you know, maybe sometime billions of years in the future, you know. They're now told, well, that was a false teaching. It was only meant to give you a respite from the ardor of all your teachings that you've been practicing and learning. The real truth is now you can get rid of that false understanding and that false nirvana and move the rest of the way a little bit more effort and have everything in this life isn't that worth it and they're like yeah and we'll teach everyone about it right all right let's continue at that time the world honor one looked at the 80 myriads of millions of nayutas of bodhisattva Mahaya, uh, mahasattvas Lots of sentient minds. These bodhisattvas were all Aivavartikas, turning the unreceding wheel of the Dharma and having attained the Dharanis, the skillful words and phrases to describe the teachings of Shakyamuni. Straight away rising from their seats, they went into the Buddha's presence single-mindedly, joined palms, and thought, 
If the world-honored ones should command us to hold this scripture, then in obedience, obedience to the Buddha's instructions, we should propagate this scripture broadly. Then they thought, the Buddha is now silent, issuing no commands. What should we do now? At that time, the bodhisattvas were respectfully obedient to the Buddha's intentions and at that time, same time, wished to fulfill their own former vows. Then the Buddhas, in the Buddha's presence, with the lion's roar, they uttered the vow, saying, O world-honored one, after the extinction of the thus come one, we shall go round and about and back and forth in the world's spheres of all ten directions and shall be able to cause living beings to write and copy this scripture, to accept and keep it, to read and recite it, to explain its meaning, to put it into practice and in accordance with dharma and to be rightful, rightly mindful of it. And all this shall be thanks to the majestic might of the Buddha, the Buddha, not Shakyamuni Buddha, the Buddha, because it's a universal aspect of life, the, the building block of life. But Buddha-ness, our experience of it, is unique to the sentient mind. We beg that the world-honored one, while dwelling in another quarter, may grant us his protection from afar. Directly then, the bodhisattvas, raising their voices in unison, proclaimed gathas, saying, We beseech you not to be concerned. For after the Buddha's passage into extinction, Shakyamuni Buddha's passage into extinction, in a frightful and evil age, much later, professed to be uh, thousands of years later, yeah, in this age of Mapo, we will broadly preach those ignorant men, whoever they may be, that revile us with foul mouths, or attack us with knives and staves, we will all endure. Because they're seeing everything from the perspective of Shakyamuni's day, right? Which occur incurred uh, much resistance. David Dada tried to kill him several times. So they are projecting their knowledge of the current time they're in into this distant future and thinking, we won't let that stop us. Uh, evidently, not even time. <laughs> but you understand the parable, the, the teaching, the story here, right? The bhikshus, in an evil age, men of twisted wisdom, their hearts sycophantic and crooked, say they already have attained what, in fact, they have not yet attained, their hearts being full of pride. Now, that's kind of a self-referential comment, isn't it? speaking to the arhats again. And so they're assuming that in the future, monks in the age of degeneration, the, the losing of this teaching, many monks practicing what they call Buddhism will be pursuing a false idea, a false nirvana, still thousands of years in the future. And so like is happening right here in the Lotus Sutra, they will need to be challenged. Nichiren picks up on this. This is where it comes up with Shakabuku, right? That these other Buddhists 
of pride are stuck in their idea of what they've attained as though they're, they're done without realizing that just a little further up the road, they can achieve so much more, right? Again, the Lotus Sutra shows us this shakabuku, this Nichiren's uh, breaking the back or bones. In other words, the stern beliefs of these deluded, not just regular ignorant people, but monks, people studying for enlightenment. They still don't get it. So this isn't a unique problem to this era, and this teaching evidently isn't going to get rid of it. Not without acceptance, reading, copying, holding it, reciting it, so on and so forth. Hmm? Or there will be aranyakas, forest-dwelling hermits, clothed in patch rags and living in the wilderness, who say of themselves that they are treading the true path, like Pratyakabuddhas, yeah? This is a story in the early teachings I've mentioned before, the wandering aimlessly in, in, through the forest like a, rhino, a lone rhinoceros. Hmm? Holding mankind cheaply, because they covet profit and nourishment, they preach dharma to white-robed laymen, and are held in humble reverence by the world, as though they were arahants of the six penetrations. These men harboring destructive thoughts, says evil, but destructive thoughts. Constant, why destructive? Why do I say that? Because they're thoughts that impede perception of the jewel of Buddhahood, perception of the true teaching of the lotus of Buddhahood in this lifetime, in this form, right? They don't want people to think that because that would be beyond themselves and they've achieved the, the maxim. So mm, we're not having any of that. This is why it's called evil, right? It's the worst obstacle. Constantly mindful of the affairs of the world, borrow the name of Aranyakas, because they love to display our faults. Then they make such talk as this. These bhikshus, out of greed for profit and nourishment, preach the arguments of external paths. Having themselves created this scriptural canon to deceive worldlings and lead them astray in the quest for name and renown, they preach this scripture with much discrimination. Now that's a very self-referential criticism. Because as you may or may not know, the controversies about the Lotus Sutra, the collection of the sutras, the teachings under the umbrella of the Lotus Sutra, is often accused by early Buddhists as being not the words of the Buddha. Well, that's kind of funny because the Buddha himself said, don't go by my words. Don't even go by me. Go by your penetrating insight from practicing and learning about how the mind contrives the cosmos. See for yourself. And so these uh, 
these scholar monks that work together or, or work to support one individual, we still don't know, who composed these various chapters, these sutras, which later Kumarajiva in his scholarship discovered, found in different language fragments from Gandhara to Sanskrit, assembled them under the rubric of the Lotus Sutra, spent many years, had a few versions wrestling with whether one fit or didn't, and through his research made an authoritative decision for a couple of translations into Chinese, and of those translations, the one that almost everybody uses is this particular Chinese translation in 28 chapters. So when he says in this paragraph, he's making this accusation that they no doubt heard, because there was a lot of controversy at the time, out of greed for profit and nourishment, the writers of the Lotus Sutra, or the writer of the Lotus Sutra, was obviously accused, right? Because people didn't like his scholarship. They didn't like this deep dive into the meaning of Shakyamuni's teachings, although it resonates perfectly with everything he's ever said, right? He has, Shakyamuni didn't teach wrong or inferior teachings and then suddenly change his mind and teach the lotus. The lotus stands on top of all the previous scholarship. As you've heard me say many times, he was always teaching the same thing. It was his audience's capacity to understand what he was teaching that was limiting the scope, the level of understanding of this, ultimately, what he was teaching all along. Remember, at the outset, before he was enlightened, Siddhartha Gautama's entire mission was based on alleviating suffering in life, in this life. Why should we live with all this stress and anxiety? There must be a way to live life to its fullest, as he had experienced himself, a son, a prince of a king, in a very sheltered environment, getting all his needs met. Why, should it, why shouldn't it be that we all experience life in that amazing way? What is in the way? What is the truth? Right? So from the very get-go, his purpose and his enlightenment was a method to do just that. Why would it take billions of lifetimes? He railed against that, taught impermanence, taught anatman, taught all sorts of contradictions to get rid of that reincarnation thing. And yet, man, people are stubborn. When it comes to cultural norms, religious norms, no matter how hard they try to change their minds, they still, there's deep cellular attachments, right? Like diverticulitis of the mind. <laughs> so yeah, when, when this elucidation, this scholarship came out, a lot of people were pissed. So now when he says, out of greed and profit and nourishment, preach the uh, arguments of external paths. Well, it's not an external path. Right? Because they had created such a normalcy 
around arhatness, uh, lesser teachings of buddhaness not being possible in this lifetime, that to be enlightened in this lifetime has to be something outside of Buddhism. But that was never, the, well, it was the core aim of Buddhism, right? Having themselves created this scriptural canon to deceive worldlings and lead them astray in the quest for name and renown, they preach this sutra with much discrimination. Oh, the elites, they think they're something special. Screw this Lotus Sutra. It's invented. It's not, it's not Shakyamuni. It's not Buddhism. Well, it is the most Buddhist. It captures the essence of what was the aim of Buddhism since, this, since before Buddha. Shakyamuni Buddha. Hmm? Since within the great multitude they, uh, they ever wish to ruin us, turning to kings and great ministers, to Brahmins and householders, and to multitudes of other bhikshus, they slanderously speak evil of us, saying these fellows of wrong views preach arguments of external paths. Out of veneration for the Buddha, we will endure all these evils. Because we know better. You just told us. Hmm? By them we shall be addressed with derision. You fellows are all Buddhas. Yeah, you elites, you're all Buddhas. <laughs> it's, it's just statements out of anger and ignorance, right? And we do hear these things between sects and groups. It's, it's like any religious movement, which Buddhism isn't. Oh, our church is the right one. Don't go to theirs. They don't know the truth. You're all working off the same book. What the hell? No, no. It's about power, ego, right? And to see that in Buddhism is so lamentable. Such words of derisions as these we will endure with patience. In a muddied kalpa in an evil age, Many shall be the frightful evil demons that enter their bodies to malign and disgrace us. We, venerating and believing in the Buddha, what he has just taught us, will don the armor of forbearance. And to preach this scripture will endure these troubles. We do not covet bodily life. We do but regret the unexcelled path. In an age to come, we will guard and keep what the Buddha has assigned. The world-honored one himself must know that in the muddied age, the evil bhikshus shall not know the Buddha's expedient devices, the dharma he preaches in accord with what is appropriate. Foul language and wry faces, repeated banishment from the order, separation from stupas and monasteries, such shall the many evils be. But mindful of the Buddha's commands, we will endure all these things. In villages, cities, and towns, if there is a person who seeks Dharma, we will all go to that place to preach the Dharma assigned by the Buddha. We are the messengers of the world-honored one. Dwelling in the multitude without fear, we will preach the Dharma. We beg the Buddha to remain tranquil. 
In the presence of the world-honored one, to the Buddhas who have arrived from the ten quarters, we utter such an oath as this, and the Buddha himself knows our thoughts. So, no shortage of commitment from uh, all of those various practitioners in the assembly, yeah? One then would wonder, what would Shakyamuni's response be to all of this? Let alone, we haven't heard from Prabhu Taratna, right? Taho Buddha, who's also listening to all of this. Well, we're going to find out. It's nice to know that everyone accepts the paradigm shift that's happened now in the middle of this teaching that they've all understood that there's a much more profound aim to the teachings that this is now the ultimate practice of enlightenment for this lifetime otherwise why bother why live a life of suffering with the hope that there's another place that there's a great golf course in uh, some faraway galaxy what, what, what is that's so mis magical thinking right that's the domain of religion no 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 buddha is experiential and you should experience buddha-ness while you're here there is no other place or time hmm? so of course this sutra makes all the sense in the world as the culminating thought method to do exactly what is necessary to attain enlightenment in this form, in this lifetime, now, immediately, quickly. And not just any enlightenment, but the perfect, complete form of enlightenment, not some provisional form. Those are great, but they're not the ultimate teaching. So... That's the, that's the entire tap chapter on fortitude. Comfortable conduct. As I've seen it called uh, quiet, quiet uh, practice, uh, easy practice. It's got many titles, but that's chapter 14. And there's a shift about to happen here, um, which Zhi uh, Yi identified as well as Zhang Ran and later uh, Nichiren the one chapter and two halves, right? The latter half of the 15th, the entire 16th and the beginning half of the 17th, which is quite literally the crux of Nietzsche's doctrine. As much as my favorite chapter is the apparition of the treasure tower for Nietzsche and his doctrine, the, the profound meanings captured in the lifespan of the Tathagata, the, and the paragraphs before it and after it are the crux of his doctrine. So we're almost there. Chapter 14 will prep us for it. 15 will take us a little further and then start diving into it. And that should be some interesting discussion. By the way, speaking of discussion, my interjections, my elucidations, and I stay away from doing too deep a dive, believe it or not, into these things as I'm reading. Uh, but I am already in the works. I have a long forward, some 
uh, over a dozen pages of general concepts of Buddhism, and I'm using a translation of the Lotus that I'm correcting a lot of verbiage in. Uh, I want to make it very relatable, but I don't want to lose any of the intricacies of the Lotus Sutra. But I am going to put out my own version of the Lotus Sutra, the threefold Lotus, right? The prologue, the epilogue, and the meat of the Sutra. And there will be parenthetical interjections everywhere where I can show, relate, infuse Nietzsche's insights and elucidations as I go. So this Lotus Sutra will be historic as well as contemporary for our Nietzschean scholarship. I haven't seen anything like that anywhere. This is what I'm endeavoring to do. I'm already well into it. And um, in a way, it has been these videos that has finally brought me to this, along with my own study, constant study, right? And so I'm working on it. It's going to take a while. <laughs> it's a big book, and I, I have to be careful not to say so much that I become redundant. So I'm trying to make salient points, and the forward was an opportunity for me to describe general concepts that aren't discussed in the Threefold Lotus Sutra, um, so that we have some Nietzschean perspective just as we go in. Yeah. So uh, I hope you look forward to that. In the meantime, there are many ebooks, the Buddhism reference books, uh, first the first one and volume two, I think are two maybe the most important things I've written in all of the books that I've written. But uh, that depends on where you are in your practice. Uh, that's why I say these are important because it's nice to know what things mean in relation to our modern practice. Always, that's the paradigm. As we study and read these other books, right? Whether they're mine or anyone else's. Anyway, that's what I'm working on. Thank you for listening so far. Take care of your health. Keep your practice strong. Right? And I will see you in the next one. Bye for now.